This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Let me thank Ambassador Kruttenbrink and Dr. Ratner for joining the committee today. This hearing on the future of U.S. policy and strategy with Taiwan may well prove to be one of the more consequential hearings that this committee holds this year. And that is for one clear reason, Beijing's increasingly aggressive rhetoric and action, its threats and coercion underscore that the Taiwan Strait remains one of the most dangerous divides in the world today, and one of the handful of places in the world where miscalculation could lead to a war with potentially catastrophic global consequences. Xi Jinping has orchestrated Beijing's hyper-nationalist aggression for his own domestic ends as he imposes his authoritarian neo-Maoist vision on the Chinese people. His relentless incursion into Taiwan's air defense identification zone this year are a significant threat to the people of Taiwan and the entire international community. It may be that with Beijing's cynical manipulation of its hosting of the Olympic Games that we will have a period of quote-unquote calm over the next few months, but there should be no question about Xi's mindset. So we may have a crucial window of opportunity for the United States and our partners to reinvigorate our strategy for the challenges ahead. But let's be clear. The starting point for U.S. policy is a recognition that Taiwan's flourishing democracy and free market economy is one of the world's real success stories. It should be a point of great pride, something to be cherished for all people on both sides of the strait. We certainly cherish it here on both sides of the aisle. And let's also be clear, the U.S. commitment to the people of Taiwan and our obligation to safeguard Taiwan's space to make its own determinations about its own future without threat of coercion or use of force must be unequivocal. There should be no doubt or ambiguity about the nature, depth, and strength of that commitment or of our endurance as an Indo-Pacific power or of our determination as a people and as a nation to stand with those like Taiwan who share our interests and our values. Beijing should have no doubt or question that any cross-strait military or kinetic contingency directly affects the United States and our interests and values, directly affects our commitments under the Taiwan Relations Act and the six assurances. And there should be no doubt, question, or misunderstanding that we will respond appropriately. And as Beijing also seeks to reset baselines through coercive measures in the quote-unquote gray zone, it should also understand that we remain committed to the essential constituent elements of deterrence across the strait as well. Likewise, the United States must stand prepared and ready to assist Taiwan as it seeks to build its own security capabilities and to deter potential PRC military pressure. While I do not expect uh, Dr. Ratner to get into sensitive specifics in an open setting, I am interested in hearing about how the Department of Defense is thinking about priorities in this area. I know the ranking member has a narrow bill that he has introduced on security assistance to Taiwan, and as he knows, I'm working on a larger bipartisan package into which we hope to incorporate his bill, and I hope to work with him and other colleagues on it uh, during the course of uh, the balance of this year into next. Beyond military and security matters, trade and economic ties also lie at the heart of the U.S.-Taiwan relationship. I'm interested to hear the outcomes of the most recent round of the prosperity 
and partnership dialogue with Taiwan through the State Department, as well as other initiatives to deepen bilateral trade and commercial ties and to enmesh Taiwan in regional economic architecture, especially given Taiwan's centrality to secure semiconductor supply chains. Building closer and more enduring economic ties between Taiwan and the world is also crucial to assure that Taiwan and others have the wherewithal to withstand Beijing's efforts at economic coercion. As I know, Ambassador Crittenbrink is aware, I have been deeply concerned about the pressure Beijing has been bringing to bear on Lithuania for its willingness to stand by Taiwan, for example, and I'm interested in your thoughts on what else the United States can do to support Lithuania and others who stand with Taiwan. Lastly, let me flag that I am interested in the administration's thinking about how to open and expand Taiwan's diplomatic space, be it how we engage with Taiwan here in Washington and how we work with our partners to assure Taiwan's meaningful participation in appropriate international organizations like the World Health Assembly or consistent with the bill I just introduced, the Inter-American Development Bank. So we have a very rich and full agenda today. And with that, let me turn to the ranking member, Senator Risch, for his remarks. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, the tensions, as we all know, are high in the Taiwan Strait, and we all know why. China is taking increasingly aggressive actions to pressure Taiwan to unify. We're seeing more and more disinformation, political attacks, economic coercion, and military downright belligerence. I'm glad this committee is holding this hearing at this critical time on Taiwan, as we increase the time, energy, and resources devoted to supporting this Indo-Pacific democracy, we need to be able to tell the American people why it is so important. We also need more extensive discussions with civilian and military leaders, including in a classified setting, to properly engage on the issues at hand. I hope we can work together to hold classified briefings on Taiwan uh, early after the first of the year. A unilateral change in the status quo regarding Taiwan would not only threaten the security and liberty of 23 million Taiwanese, but also significantly damage vital U.S. interests and alliances in the Indo-Pacific. We would lose a model democracy at a time of creeping authoritarianism. Uh, it would give China a platform in the first island chain to dominate the Western Pacific and threaten, indeed, U.S. homeland. The consequences for Japan's security and therefore, the U.S.-Japan alliance are hard to overstate. Semiconductor uh, supply chains would fall into Chinese, uh, China's hands, and it would embolden China in other territorial disputes, including with India and in the South China Sea. Many U.S. allies and partners fear Taiwan would just be China's first step, and China's aggressive actions give us no reason to believe otherwise. To deter the Chinese Communist Party from coercing Taiwan, the United States must be laser-focused on concrete actions that put Taiwan in the best possible position to defend against Chinese military. Last month, I introduced, uh, as the chairman indicated, the Taiwan Deterrence Act with several colleagues. The bill authorizes $2 billion in foreign military financing for Taiwan every year through 2032. Such a program would accelerate Taiwan's acquisition of asymmetric capabilities and incentivize closer U.S.-Taiwan joint defense uh, coordination. I look forward to working with the chairman 
uh, as he uh, puts his bill forward and melding the two bills together. This is not, I'm sure the chairman would agree, a partisan uh, matter. This is a matter that is important to all American people. I, I applaud uh, President Tsai's commitment to important defense reforms, def defense uh, reforms that we have been urging, including recent purchases of key capabilities and the planned establishment of an agency for civilian resilience. But more needs to be done to ensure the Taiwanese military fully implements her reform-minded vision. Close coordination with our executive and legislative branches is essential. The U.S. government should prioritize getting the right capabilities to Taiwan quickly and enhancing other important forms of defense engagement. If there's a problem, the executive branch should tell Congress, and we all need to fix it. We should be delivering the same messages on reform to our friends in Taiwan. What we do in the next two years is of great importance, but what we say also matters. I'm deeply concerned by confused and varying statements on our Taiwan policy from uh, high members in the uh, current administration, including the president. This confusion demonstrates weakness, and weakness invites, always invites more aggression. Our, our Taiwan policy has remained consistent, regardless of the false claims by Chinese leaders. U.S. policy towards Taiwan has always called for robust support for uh, its defense. This is enshrined in the Taiwan Relations Act. Uh, there's been uh, much uh, talk recently about U.S. policy regarding Taiwan, and I were to urge anyone, uh, whether they're friends or enemies, to read the Taiwan Relations Act. This is United States law. This is not a suggestion. It's not a thought. It is law that was put in place on January 1st, 1979, and it's called the Taiwan Relations Act. It sets forth the policy of the United States regarding Taiwan. It is binding. It is the law. It is not a suggestion. It is a commitment to ourselves. It is a commitment to our allies. It's a commitment to Taiwan, and it's a commitment to the world. I will quote very, very briefly from the act. In section two, uh, subsection uh, B5, uh, it, it says that the, uh, uh, it is the policy of the United States to provide Taiwan with arms of a defensive character, and it is the policy of the United States in subsection 6 to maintain the capacity of the United States to resist any resort to force or other forms of coercion that would jeopardize the security or the social economic system of the people on Taiwan. Section 3 goes on to say, 3A, in furtherance of the policy set forth in Section 2 of this Act, the United States will make available to Taiwan such defense articles and defense services in such quantity as may be necessary to enable Taiwan to, main, to maintain uh, a sufficient self-defense capability. This is the law of America. It is the law that has been in place since January 1, 1979. So any debate that's going on right now needs to start with this law. This is where we begin. In, uh, in 1982, President Reagan wrote that the linkage between U.S. policy on arms sales to Taiwan and whether China pursues a peaceful resolution across the Taiwan Strait is a permanent imperative of U.S. foreign policy. Today, China sends large numbers of military aircraft into the Taiwan Strait for what they call rehearsals for future operations. 
it threatens to take all necessary means to unify with Taiwan and uses its economic might to punish countries that engage with Taiwan. These are not tenets of a peaceful resolution, which is what's called for in the United States policy. These actions, coupled with China's massive military buildup, create a very different geopolitical environment. The United States must continue executing our long-standing Taiwan policy in a matter in a manner that matches today's geopolitical realities. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Thank you, Senator Risch, for those uh, remarks, and we're very much in sync here. Uh, <clears throat> let's turn to Ambassador Crittenbrink first, uh, and then Dr. Ratner. We will have your full statements included uh, for the record without objection. We'd ask you to summarize them in about five minutes or so so that members of the committee could engage in a conversation with you. And uh, let's start off with Ambassador Crittenberg. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today about our growing partnership with Taiwan. As you know, Taiwan is a leading democracy, a technological powerhouse, and a force for good. Our shared values, commercial and economic links, as well as people-to-people -people ties, form the bedrock of our friendship and serve as the impetus for our expanding engagement <clears throat> with Taiwan. This sentiment, shared across multiple administrations from both parties, is the lodestar in managing our critically important unofficial relationship with Taiwan. Our One China policy, as guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, and the six assurances, has promoted peace and prosperity in the region for more than 40 years. Our policy also maximizes our ability to broaden and deepen U.S.-Taiwan cooperation and best ensures the future of Taiwan is determined by its people, peacefully and free of PRC coercion. Through the American Institute in Taiwan, our cooperation with Taiwan has increased in recent years. Taiwan has become an important U.S. partner in trade and investment, health, semiconductor and other critical supply chains, investment screening, science and technology, education, and democratic governance. Under this administration, we have advanced these cooperative efforts in a number of ways, including convening the second annual U.S.-Taiwan Economic Prosperity Partnership Dialogue to build secure and resilient supply chains and counter economic coercion, and inviting Taiwan to share its expertise to combat disinformation and, and authoritarianism at the Summit for Democracy. We've also expanded the global cooperation and training framework in which we, Japan, and now Australia, work together to showcase Taiwan's expertise around the world. Our relationship with Taiwan brings tremendous benefits to the American people. As just one example, cutting-edge semiconductors from Taiwan are key components for many of our most important industries. Taiwan companies, most notably TSMC, are now investing billions of dollars in the United States to create high-paying jobs and help ensure our semiconductor supply chains are resilient. The United States is firmly committed to peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region, where we have an enduring national interest. We continue to oppose unilateral changes to the status quo, and we call for cross-strait issues to be resolved in a peaceful manner, consistent with the wishes and best interests of the people on Taiwan. It is for this reason that we view the PRC's growing military, diplomatic, and economic coercion toward Taiwan with serious concern. These actions are destabilizing to the region, and risk a miscalculation that could harm the global economy. In response, the United States has and will continue to make available to Taiwan 
the defense articles and services necessary to maintain a sufficient self-defense capability consistent with the Taiwan Relations Act. The United States has notified Congress of more than $32 billion worth of arms to Taiwan since 2009, but we should be clear that arms sales alone are not enough. We also are encouraging Taiwan to prioritize asymmetric capabilities that complicate PRC planning and to implement defense reforms that will strengthen the resilience of Taiwan's society against PRC coercion. The PRC also continues to execute campaigns to sway Taiwan's few remaining diplomatic partners into breaking official ties, to bully countries such as Lithuania when they seek to deepen engagement with Taiwan, and to block Taiwan's meaningful participation in international organizations. These campaigns are part of a broader PRC effort to diminish Taiwan's international space, which ultimately robs all of us of the many benefits derived from Taiwan's expertise. We continue to work with like-minded countries to ensure Taiwan is acknowledged as a respective and constructive democratic actor in global affairs. Maintaining Taiwan's international space is fundamental to preserving the cross-strait status quo and denying the PRC the political conditions it views as conducive for coerced unification. To that end, it is critical that we have our Senate-confirmed ambassadors in-country to help shore up our alliances and push back against malign influence. Our nominees to some of the most important countries in the region, including Japan, Vietnam, and China itself, are waiting confirmation in the Senate after being voice voted out of this committee with broad bipartisan support. I respectfully ask the committee's help in confirming them as quickly as possible. The United States continues to raise the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait with our allies and partners. We have publicly and privately urged the PRC to abide by its commitment to peacefully resolve cross-strait issues and to engage Taiwan in a meaningful dialogue to de-escalate tensions. As a result of the PRC's actions, the global community has become more vocal in supporting Taiwan. Several countries' parliamentarians have visited Taiwan or passed measures of support. Many U.S. allies and partners have also publicly raised their concerns about maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Congress has played a critical role in championing continued U.S. and international support for Taiwan, for which we are very grateful. In summary, our relationship with Taiwan is truly rock solid. Taiwan time and again has proven to be a valuable partner. Only by continuing all our efforts to work with Taiwan, to work with and support Taiwan, can we ultimately preserve peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific that undergirds a strong global economy and our national interest? Thank you very much. I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Dr. Ratner. Uh, Chairman Menendez, uh, Ranking Member Risch, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to be here today to describe how the Department of Defense is supporting Taiwan's ability to, de to defend its vibrant, prosperous democracy. I'd like to begin with an overview of why Taiwan security is so important to the United States. As you know, Taiwan is located at a, at a critical node within the first island chain, anchoring a network of U.S. allies and partners that is critical to the region's security and critical to the defense of vital U.S. interests in the Indo-Pacific. Geographically, Taiwan is also situated alongside major trade lanes that provide sea lines of communication for much of the world's commerce and energy shipping. It is in part for these strategic reasons that this administration, like those before it, has affirmed our commitment to our One China policy as guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint USPRC communiques, and the six assurances. Taiwan is also integral, as you know, to the regional and global economy. Its free market economy embraces innovation, entrepreneurship, and private sector-led growth, which has helped Taiwan become a valuable economic and trade partner for the United States. 
Moreover, Taiwan is a beacon of democratic values and ideals. In stark contrast <clears throat> to deepening authoritarianism and oppression in the PRC, Taiwan has proven the possibilities of an alternative path to that of the Chinese Communist Party. Unfortunately, although the PRC publicly advocates for peaceful unification with Taiwan, leaders in Beijing have never renounced the use of military aggression. In fact, the PLA is likely preparing for a contingency to unify Taiwan with the PRC by force, while simultaneously attempting to deter, delay, or deny third-party intervention on Taiwan's behalf. The PRC threat to Taiwan, however, is not limited to invasion or blockade. The PLA is conducting a broader coercive campaign in the air and maritime domains around Taiwan. These operations are destabilizing, intentionally provocative, and increase the likelihood of miscalculation. Nevertheless, although the PLA's actions are real and dangerous, and PLA modernization is unlikely to abate, the PRC can still be deterred through a combination of Taiwan's own defenses, its partnership with the United States, and growing support from like-minded democracies. Through smart investments and key reforms, Taiwan can send a clear signal that its society and armed forces are committed and prepared to defend Taiwan. Without question, bolstering Taiwan's self-defenses is an urgent task and an essential feature of deterrence. <clears throat> we therefore appreciate that President Tsai has prioritized the development of asymmetric capabilities for Taiwan's self-defense that are credible, resilient, mobile, distributed, and cost-effective. Asymmetric capabilities, however, are only one part of the deterrence equation. Taiwan must complement investments in these critical capabilities with equal focus on enhancing resilience, supporting civil-military integration, and building a strategy that includes defense in depth. Now, in addition to the provision of defense arms and services to Taiwan, the Department remains committed to maintaining the capacity of the United States to resist the resort to force or other forms of coercion that may jeopardize the security of the people on Taiwan. And let me be clear that this is an absolute priority. The PRC is the Department of Defense's pacing challenge, and a Taiwan contingency is the pacing scenario. We are modernizing our capabilities, updating U.S. force posture, and developing new operational concepts accordingly. I should also underscore that the Department's efforts to deter PRC aggression and enhance Taiwan's defenses will not be in isolation. Countries throughout the Indo-Pacific and beyond recognize that PRC aggression against Taiwan would have serious consequences for their own interests and are increasingly voicing concerns about PRC coercion and potential aggression against Taiwan. As evidenced by a number of recent multilateral operations and exercises, the Department is focused on enhancing our regional cooperation as a means of bolstering deterrence. Finally, <clears throat> I'd like to close by thanking all of you for your strong bipartisan support for Taiwan. It is my firm belief that this bipartisanship is one of our most powerful assets in the defense of Taiwan and should be nurtured and treated as such. In that context, the Department's partnership and bipartisan collaboration with Congress are critical to ensuring that we continue to meet our commitments under the Taiwan Relations Act. Thank you for your time and attention today, and I look forward to your questions. Well, thank you both very much. So we'll start a series of uh, round of uh, five-minute questions, and I'll recognize myself. Uh, given the increased muscle flexing and threatening uh, rhetoric from Beijing, some policymakers and analysts have called for an end to the policy of strategic ambiguity with regards to Taiwan. 
what's your views on the advantages and disadvantages of maintaining strategic uh, uh, ambiguity? Is it time for additional clarity or a new framework for managing the cross-strait relations? Mr. Chairman, if it's okay, I'd like to reply first. Sure. Um, Mr. Chairman, I would say, first of all, uh, I fully agree that the coercive uh, and bullying behavior that we've seen from the People's Republic uh, of China uh, directed at Taiwan is concerning. Uh, it's destabilizing, and it, it risks undermining uh, peace and stability in the region. Uh, but, Mr. Chairman, we continue to believe uh, that uh, our One China policy and the framework provided by the Taiwan Relations Act provides us with all the tools that we need uh, to counter that threat and to continue to uh, maintain peace and stability uh, you think across China, the Do you think China is uh, uh, undoubtedly uh, convinced that uh, we will be as vigorous in our support of Taiwan and in defense of it uh, as we assert here? Well, Mr. Chairman, I, I, think, uh, I think that is our goal, and it is an urgent one. We think that contributing to that stability and providing that deterrence that we believe provides that uh, stability is a here and now uh, problem. And we're committed to that on an urgent basis, uh, on a daily basis. And uh, my view, Mr. Chairman, is that our policy over the last four decades, as you noted, a uh, bipartisan policy with leadership from both the executive and congressional branches, I think, has succeeded and has allowed Taiwan I, to prosper. I appreciate that, and uh, you know, I am strong of the support that the uh, and of the view that not only as it relates to Taiwan, but in anything that we can do as it relates to foreign policy, the strength of bipartisanship is an incredibly important message globally yes, and to the country. My que my question really evolves around: Okay, that's been the reality of. Uh, uh, of how we've approached the, the cross-straits relationship, but we have not had the hypernationalism of Xi Jinping. We have not had uh, the type of uh, rather overt uh, threats that have taken place. Is the Defense Department of the same view as the Department of State? Senator, I, I know there has been a, a very robust public discussion of this issue, and, and I have deep respect for, for folks on both sides of this debate. Um, in addition to agreeing with, with everything that Ambassador Chris Crittenbrink said, uh, my personal view is that a, a change in U.S. declaratory policy would not meaningfully strengthen deterrence. Uh, and I'd be happy to, to say more about that in a, in a classified setting. All right. Uh, I'll, and, we'll leave it at that then. Uh, what, what is your assessment? I, I am concerned that in recent years the PLA military operations near Taiwan have become more sophisticated and more frequent including recent incursion into Taiwan's air defense, uh, air defense identification zone. And frankly, I'm concerned that these incursions would circumvent, uh, circumnavigate, I should say, the island, demonstrate Beijing's ability to execute a blockade of Taiwan. What's your assessment of the current cross-state military balance? Are you concerned that the PRC can take unilateral military action against Taiwan? Do you want to take that one, you want? Sure. Um, Senator, I am uh, concerned about China's military modernization. The Defense Department recently provided an extremely detailed report on uh, uh, China, the annual China military power report, and clearly they are engaging in uh, increased uh, coercion and aggressive behaviors, not only toward Taiwan, but, but around the region. 
this has effects uh, in terms of tempting miscalculation and crisis. It has effect on Taiwan's readiness. Um, but I think our job at the, at the Department of, De of Defense is to strengthen deterrence uh, and to ensure that uh, we are taking actions such that Beijing understands that it would not be able to achieve its military objectives and certainly uh, not without facing substantial risks and costs. And we're doing that by supporting Taiwan's defenses and reforms, by bolstering our own deterrence, and by working on this issue with the, with the broader international Ambassador, community. Ambassador, what, what uh, would trigger a, a st such a step by Beijing? Well, uh, Mr. Chairman, I'm, uh, I'm reluctant to speculate what uh, might be in uh, President Xi Jinping's mind on any given day, but I would just say that uh, we feel the urgent need every day to take a broad range of steps that we've tried to uh, outline in our opening statements to deter such a step and to provide that stability. And if I could add one point to uh, my colleague, Assistant Secretary Ratner's comment, we do believe that to contribute to that stability, we have to do more than just focus on military deterrence. It's vitally important, we believe, to continue to bolster and expand uh, Taiwan's international space and also to deepen uh, our engagement with uh, Taiwan and to help enable Taiwan to resist economic coercion. We also think those are important parts. In that, in that regard, and we'll close on this uh, for myself. I have a lot more, but I'll uh, stop here. In that regard, if we want to expand Taiwan's diplomatic space when we succeed at it, because there are many countries that have succumbed to China's closing the doors on Taiwan, even though they had official recognition and relationships with Taiwan. Uh, we've seen Taiwan's diplomatic channels close due to Chinese pressure in multiple capitals. Indeed, since 2016, eight former Taiwan diplomatic partners have switched diplomatic uh, recognition to the PRC. And even now, we're watching as Beijing places significant economic pressure on a country like Lithuania for authorizing the opening of a Taiwanese representative office. How is the administration supporting our democratic partners in countering undue Chinese influence and helping Taiwan to establish and maintain formal relationships? If we cannot help Lithuania, who's being threatened in economic terms, supply chains, and whatnot, which I view as a test for the West, uh, then uh, if we fail that test, uh, then ultimately we will face the consequences of it when others say it's not worth to stand up to China. The U.S. won't be there for us. Yes, sir. Um, Mr. Chairman, I would say that in, uh, when we focus on trying to expand and strengthen Taiwan's diplomatic space, we work a with a range of partners uh, to demonstrate what Taiwan has to offer to the international community and what the benefits of engaging with Taiwan are. Um, you mentioned both diplomatic partners and then countries like Lithuania who have simply tried to expand their engagement uh, with the Taiwan representative office. In the case of uh, Lithuania, Mr. Chairman, uh, we took a number of steps to uh, assist uh, our Lithuanian partners. Uh, we engaged both the secretary and deputy secretary level to uh, express our support for Lithuania to hear their concerns. We engaged uh, in a dialogue that was hosted by uh, the White House that I participated in with the Lithuanian foreign minister. Uh, that same day, uh, Lithuania and Exim Bank uh, announced an MOU that involved $600 million uh, of, uh, of, of credits uh, to assist uh, Lithuania. And we also dispatched 
uh, a private sector commercial delegation to Lithuania to try to assist them as well uh, in finding uh, other markets, other supply chains. So that is one example, Mr. Chairman, in which we've taken very seriously uh, the need to assist our partners in resisting Chinese economic coercion uh, in the context of engagement with Taiwan. Um, and maybe just one last comment, uh, Mr. Chairman. We, we also, as I mentioned in my uh, opening statement, we, we've expanded the global cooperation and training framework as well, which is a, another way uh, in which we help partners around the world engage with Taiwan and learn about the capabilities that Taiwan uh, can offer. And we're grateful uh, to Congress for the support of that program. Thank you. Senator Rush. Well, thanks for those comments about uh, Lithuania. Uh, that's not getting nearly enough ink around the world. Uh, we all want to uh, counter this uh, Chinese uh, uh, influence, and when they do it uh, malignly, like they did in Lithuania, it's important that we do counter that. Uh, the list you just ticked off is an important list, but uh, the world should take note that uh, we are engaged in that sort of thing and, and will help uh, when it's appropriate. Most of the areas I want to cover are in the, in the uh, intelligence lane, so I, I'm going to be brief here. But tell me um, your thoughts on the fact, and I, everybody talks about this, and that is what China did to Hong Kong. And really, the reper uh, repercussions were de minimis uh, for China. Uh, certainly, uh, in China, uh, one would think they're tempted to look at that and say, hey, this was so easy, uh, you know, the next one's not going to be uh, any tougher. Uh, do they have a sense in China, do you think, that we, the West, particularly America, view the, the tai Taiwanese situation entirely different than the Hong Kong situation? Uh, either one of you can start. I'd like to hear both your views on that. Thank you, Mr. Ranking Member. Well, um, Obviously, as, uh, as the administration has stated clearly, what, what happened uh, in Hong Kong and the previous administration as well, what happened in Hong Kong was completely uh, unacceptable. But, uh, Mr. Ranking Member, it, it would be uh, a grave mistake uh, if China were to conclude from that uh, that somehow um, it, it uh, uh, gave them an opportunity to take coercive action vis-a-vis uh, -vis Taiwan. And I know that Secretary Blinken uh, has been quoted extensively, including uh, this past week, in stating uh, what a serious mistake it would be if China were to uh, undertake such a path. And we believe, uh, Mr. Ranking Member, that um, our job every day is to make sure that we provide a level of deterrence and stability across the strait so that China is not tempted uh, to take that step. I, I don't think that uh, that proposition about how we view this can be... Uh Understand. We we need to underscore that and underscore it strongly. Yes, sir. Uh, Senator, to the to the specific question of uh, our understanding of uh, Beijing's perception and whether they they view they think we view the Hong Kong problem differently than Taiwan, I think the answer to that is categorically yes. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, these relate to intelligence matters, and, and I would be eager to discuss that with you in a in a classified setting. The only thing I would add to what Ambassador Crittenbrink said is the Taiwans themselves took very careful notice of what happened in Hong Kong, uh, and it certainly, in their view, reinforced uh, the unacceptability of some kind of uh, one country, two systems bargain, given, given what they saw what happened to Hong Kong. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, let me thank uh, both of you for, for your service. Uh, let me continue this discussion 
as much as we can discuss in an open setting, but is there, can you just assess for us how much China, mainland China, is doing within Taiwan itself? It seems like there is shifting politics within Taiwan uh, in regards to the attitude of its uh, relations with the mainland China. Uh, can you just share with us how active the PRC is in regards to uh, politics within Taiwan? Senator, thank you very much for uh, your remarks and for uh, your question. Um, in terms of a detailed response, perhaps that would be uh, better in another session, but I, I think that um, I could say uh, here in great confidence and, and safely that certainly um, the PRC's attempts to uh, intimidate and coerce and influence uh, friends on Taiwan does involve uh, activities inside uh, Taiwan uh, as well, uh, which, is, uh, which is deeply concerning. Um, I would pick up on your, your final comment and that I think uh, uh, attitudes in, uh, in, in Taiwan have shifted uh, over time. Uh, I have some uh, skepticism about the effectiveness uh, of uh, uh, China's actions. In fact, I think the more uh, that the PRC tries to squeeze, uh, the more it simply pushes Taiwan and the Taiwanese people uh, uh, away. So let me talk about the U.S. engagement in the uh, Asian Pacific area. With the withdrawal from TPP, we know that created a vacuum. We have the issues of so many countries in that region concerned about the free commerce on the, on the China Seas and what uh, uh, PRC has done in that regard. Uh, our uh, ability to have influence in regards to Taiwan is very much related to how America is perceived as interest in the Asian Pacific area. So can you just coordinate for us how your strategies in that region are being arranged in order to deal with PRC's uh, in, in, increasing activities in the China Seas as well as its compromising of Taiwan's uh, in the, uh, security? Yes, sir. Senator, our goal uh, is to demonstrate the strength and the credibility of America's commitment to the Indo-Pacific region uh, and to uh, our many uh, allies and partners in that region. We have demonstrated that the Indo-Pacific region is vital to our future uh, security and prosperity, and we try to demonstrate that through our, our actions every day. Um, as you know... Can you be uh, more specific about yes, that? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, Senator, as you know, for example, uh, the first two world leaders hosted by President Biden at the White House were the Japanese Prime Minister and the South Korean President. Uh, the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense's first trips to the region were to Japan and Korea. Uh, just this morning, we announced that Secretary Blinken uh, will travel to Southeast Asia next week to visit uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Thailand to, uh, again, demonstrate the strength of our commitment to our partners and allies uh, in ASEAN. Um, uh, in addition, of course, to that diplomatic engagement, uh, Senator, we're, we're carrying out uh, a very uh, aggressive policy vis-a-vis -vis the maritime domains in the South China Sea and the East China Sea to uh, both diplomatically um, garner support for pushing back against Chinese illegal behavior and bullying and to strengthen support for uh, the international rule of law. Secondly, 
We are providing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of maritime uh, assistance to partners in the region to increase their domain awareness and their ability uh, to defend their own interests, which we think uh, contribute to stability in the region. And then finally, of course, and I'll turn to Assistant Secretary Ratner, uh, we are developing and exercising our own capabilities on a, a regular basis uh, in both the South and East China Seas and, and elsewhere in the region, all again designed to uh, contribute to stability and demonstrate the strength of our commitment. And finally, Senator, you mentioned uh, our economic engagement as well. Uh, the President announced recently, uh, last month, uh, at the end of October, rather, at the East Asia uh, Summit, uh, his desire to launch a new Indo-Pacific economic framework. That will certainly be a focus of our uh, engagement in the weeks and months ahead. Secretary Senator, I'll, I'll only say Secretary Austin has said repeatedly that allies and partners are perhaps our biggest strategic advantage in our uh, military competition with China. They have capabilities they can bring to bear on their own and with us. They support our uh, force posture and, and forward deployments in the region, and they exercise and operate with us to ensure uh, a free and open uh, region. I'll say for my part, I've been in this role since uh, the summer, uh, and right down the line uh, from uh, the Republic of Korea, where we were last week, to Japan, Taiwan, the Philippines, Australia, Vietnam, India, in every one of these instances, there is uh, incredible positive momentum in those defense partnerships, and, and in most instances, those relationships are stronger than they've ever been. Thank you. Uh, Senator Romney is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I, I don't know that we have laid out a comprehensive strategy for for uh, supporting the people of Taiwan and the the uh, uh, the capacity of the people to determine their own destiny. But but if I were to jot down several of the elements that I think would be part of that, I'm afraid that on almost all of them we're we're failing, not succeeding. And, and I say that a bit to get your response. On the, one of the ones that we're succeeding on is is the attitude of the people of Taiwan themselves. That's not due to anything we've done, I don't imagine, but instead due to the fact that the, the Chinese have, have been brutal against the, the Uyghurs and against the people of Hong Kong uh, and, and, uh, and, of course, the people uh, of Tibet, and, and that has concentrated the thinking of the people of Taiwan. Uh, so we've been successful there. But other elements, it strikes me that we're not being successful. So one element of our strategy would surely be to make sure that world opinion is watching this and is concerned about what China's doing and wants to see Taiwan have its uh, its capacity for self-rule. Uh, and yet, as has already been mentioned, we're seeing greater and greater diplomatic isolation uh, of Taiwan by, by nations around the world. A second element or, or a third element would be, um, the, if you will, the military uh, porcupining, if you will, the, the capacity of of Taiwan to, to make decisions to make itself uh, a very difficult target and to, to make sure that the, uh, the Chinese aggressors would, uh, would recognize that the cost of, of invasion would be uh, severe indeed. Uh, and, and on that one, um, I know this is not a classified session, so we can't go into that in depth, but I, I don't come away thinking that that's become uh, as much stronger as we would have liked it to become. Uh, the next would be a communication of severe economic consequence were there to be a, uh, an incursion against Taiwan. And, and while we talk about that, I don't know that we've communicated to the Chinese or collaborated with our friends around the world a, 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 a decision of just what we would do uh, to, to uh, inform China in advance of what we, the collective nations of the world, would do were they to take aggressive action against, against Taiwan. Um, and, and the final element of our strategy might be our commitment to the region and communicating our commitment to the region 
And the decision made uh, by the prior administration and, and not yet reversed by this one to back out of the TPP um, uh, does not communicate commitment to the region. Um, uh, there's some things we do that obviously are uh, able to so commit, but but that decision was not. There was a discussion made that we don't like multilateral trade agreements. We like bilateral agreements, but we didn't enter into bilateral agreements. So we're just sort of uh, we disappeared. Uh, there, there would be opportunities, for instance, with the SEN nations to enter into a digital uh, trade agreement uh, and, and to begin the, the process again. But I'm concerned that, that if, if I were China, China looking at this, I'd say uh, this is getting easier, not harder. Am I misreading that? And, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to be a, a blaming just this administration. I, I'm looking back over the last several years of, of American policy, but it strikes me that on almost every dimension of an effective strategy, we're, we're not winning, we're losing. Senator, thank you. Ambassador, thank you. please, yeah. Senator, thank you very much for um, your comments and, and your, your question. Um, Senator, none of us uh, underestimate the scope uh, of the challenge, but uh, I would argue that there are also reasons for uh, optimism. In terms of world opinion and uh, the interest of our partners around the world, I think it's quite significant that uh, for the first time in many instances or the first time in a long time, many of our allies and partners have spoken up together with us in joint statements and, and other venues to express publicly their concern for the situation in Taiwan and the national interest that they see in peace and stability uh, across the Taiwan Strait. And I'm thinking about uh, the statements made publicly by Japanese leaders, our South Korean uh, allies, uh, by the G7, uh, just last week by uh, the Secretary General of the EU uh, External Action uh, Service uh, and the like. So I think there are uh, an increasing number of partners and allies around the world who recognize the importance of peace and stability across the Strait and they're publicly stating uh, that fact. Uh, in terms uh, of our uh, military deterrence strategy, I'll let Assistant Secretary Ratner reply to that in more detail, but what you've outlined, Senator, is precisely is our strategy, assisting Taiwan to develop an asymmetric defense, and that's what we're focused on uh, uh, every day. Uh, certainly the economic consequences of any conflict across the strait would be severe. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, we are making that clear, and it's up to us uh, every day to, I think, demonstrate that. And as Secretary Blinken has said recently, this would be a, a serious mistake if China were to ever uh, take that step with, with uh, very serious consequences. And in terms of our commitment to the region, Senator, I would say it's what animates our actions uh, every day. I know from my most uh, recent travels to the region over the last month uh, and, and the engagement uh, of our leadership from uh, the President, the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense on down. We demonstrate on a daily basis our ironclad commitment to the security of our treaty allies, our strong commitment uh, to peace and security and prosperity across the Indo-Pacific region, and that's what animates uh, our actions uh, every day. Let me stop there, sir. Dr. Ratner, thank you. Yeah, Senator Romney, thank you. Um, uh, I would offer a more optimistic view of at least the trajectory of where we're headed on some of the issues that you raised. I, I share your concerns about the military challenge. China's military modernization is uh, certainly stressing stability uh, across the strait, but we have seen, particularly under the leadership of President Tsai, we have seen Taiwan taking incredibly important steps on trying to uh, modernize and, and reform its own military. We have seen them increasing their defense budget. Uh, we have seen them increasingly focused on asymmetric capabilities and the kinds of capabilities that we think will strengthen deterrence. And we've seen them starting to walk down the road of 
making some fairly significant reforms, reserve reforms, and in other areas that are going to enable them to defend themselves. At the same time, uh, at the Department of Defense, we are increasingly focused on this challenge. Secretary Austin has articulated China as the, as the top-pacing challenge, and we're in the process of updating capabilities, uh, expediting experimentation and prototyping, developing new operational concepts, and updating our posture uh, in the region uh, to be better prepared to deter aggression in this area. Um, and as it relates to allies and partners, uh, I think we are seeing increasing concern uh, and increasing action, including on the security side. We had our uh, very first ever combined, meaning with another country, uh, Taiwan Strait Transit within the last couple months. That was with Canada. Uh, we have held major uh, military exercises with partners from inside and outside of the region, including multi-carrier operations with aircraft carriers from the UK, large deck amphibs from Japan, um, a number of countries uh, participating. We've seen uh, countries uh, in the region starting to do their own Taiwan Strait transits. Uh, and so I think we are seeing countries stepping up their military presence in the region and their willingness to support deterrence in a way that we haven't before. So collectively, uh, I agree with you, it's an enormous challenge, but uh, uh, I think the urgency is there uh, and we're, we've got the right formula and we're moving as fast as we can. Senator Shaheen's recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you both for being here. Um, just to follow up on the, your comments about our allies and what they're doing, um, because we know that our messages are going to be much more effective when they're delivered with our allies. I noticed that the European Parliament sent its first official parliamentary delegation to Taiwan last month, and it adopted a non-binding resolution to deepen ties with Taiwan. So can you discuss to what extent the administration is engaging with our European allies around issues with and working to align our policy toward Taiwan? Senator, thank you very much for the question. Yes, um, I would say that if I were to summarize uh, in one line, our approach to the Indo-Pacific, it would be allies, partners, and friends. And our efforts are focused not just on our partners within the region, but uh, without as well uh, those outside of the region who also see the Indo-Pacific as being vital to their future. And the EU is very important uh, in that regard. Uh, just uh, three weeks ago, uh, I held two days of consultations with my EU counterpart on these very issues, both focused on our engagement across the Indo-Pacific and specifically vis-a-vis uh, China, uh, and that included uh, a discussion of Taiwan. Uh, just last week, the, as I mentioned, the EU Secretary General of the uh, uh, EU External Action Service uh, was in Washington for consultations with Deputy Secretary Sherman. Uh, and I think, as you may have seen from the public readout, there was a very robust uh, discussion uh, of all of these issues. And the word that I would use to describe our consultations is convergence. Uh, if you look at what the EU has done, uh, what our friends in Japan uh, have done, uh, what ASEAN itself has done. We've all talked about the principles that ought to uh, define uh, behavior uh, in the Indo-Pacific and the principles that are most important uh, for uh, supporting peace and stability. And we all share uh, those principles. And our focus now, whether it's with the EU or many other uh, allies and partners across the region, is what is the concrete action that we can take uh, together. That was certainly the nature of our discussion with the EU, and it is uh, with the rest of our partners as well. And I assume these discussions would be even more effective if we had ambassadors to the EU and to China to engage in these conversations. 
can you speak to the impact that it's having not having our diplomats in those critical positions? Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm honored, of course, to be in this chair, and I'm uh, grateful to the members of this committee uh, and in the largest Senate for the support uh, in, uh, regarding my confirmation. But we are truly hamstrung in the region when we do not have uh, our fully confirmed capable ambassadors on the ground. Um, uh, no doubt in every capital we have uh, very capable representatives, whether they uh, are uh, ambassadors or our talented charge d'affaires. Uh, but there's simply no substitute for a fully confirmed uh, U.S. ambassador in terms of their capabilities, the legitimacy they have within that country and their ability to fully operate and to, uh, to have influence. And so, yes, ma'am, respectfully, as I mentioned uh, in my, my opening statement, we would be grateful uh, for the Senate taking uh, quick action to confirm as many uh, of our ambassadors as possible. I do believe it represents a real vulnerability for us uh, in the field, including in the East Asia Pacific region for which I'm responsible. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Risch. I think it's particularly concerning that these positions are being held, held up by members of this committee who ought to understand better than most people in the Senate just why it's so important to have our diplomats in position when we're trying to engage in our foreign policy. And, and I would add, by the way, that um, it also is hamstringing Americans' interests in China, for example, um, where we have a number of Americans who are being held hostage by the government of China, and we have no one in the position of ambassador to advocate on behalf of those people. So, again, I think we should note that this is an area that is affecting our national security because our colleagues on the other side of the aisle, and it's not all of them, I know Senator Risch has been very um, active in trying to move these nominations, but we've got a couple of people who are holding things up in a way that's having a real impact on our ability to conduct American foreign policy. So thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, uh, Senator Shaheen. You're, you, I agree with you, and this is becoming increasingly a critical issue. It would be great if we had an ambassador in China right now, uh, both on Taiwan as we try to get China to join us against our, uh, the challenges of Iran and others. So, uh, Senator Haggerty. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I want to thank both the Chairman and the Ranking Member for your holding this meeting. Um, we wrote and asked for this, and I so appreciate uh, your accommodation of, of this, and I appreciate our witnesses here today to provide insight on a very challenging area. I'd like to start with you, Assistant Secretary Ratner, if I might. I want to focus on the importance of Taiwan to the broader security in the Indo-Pacific region. Earlier this year, uh, Japanese Defense Minister Kishi stated that the peace and stability of Taiwan are directly connected to Japan. And building on that statement just last month, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said, and I quote, a Taiwan emergency is a Japanese emergency, and therefore an emergency for the U.S.-Japan alliance. As former U.S. Ambassador to Japan, I understand the strategic importance of Taiwan to the U.S.-Japan alliance, but I also believe an emergency in the U.S.-Japan alliance will also represent an emergency for our alliances both in Korea and in Australia. Protecting Taiwan is key to protecting the entire U.S. alliance network within the Indo-Pacific. So first, I'd just like to start with yes or no questions, Secretary Ratner. Is the security of Taiwan important to the security and stability of the Indo-Pacific region? Uh, Senator, I would say it's essential. And, and I, I agree. And then I just would like to then ask you, how 
Taiwan impacts our defense posture in the, in the Indo-Pacific and our ability to, to work with, to protect and defend Japan, Korea, and Australia. Senator, I would describe uh, our partnership Taiwan, uh, with Taiwan as an anchor to our network of allies and partners in the region. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I'll come to my good friend, Ambassador Crittenbrink. Um, China is engaged in a deeply destabilizing nuclear arms race right now. It's currently building underground silos for intercontinental ballistic missiles. It's improving its nuclear triad of land-based, of sea-based, of air-based weapons, and it's testing nuclear-capable hypersonic weapons. General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, described China's re recent hypersonic missile test as a Sputnik moment. General John Hyten, who until recently served as vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs, described these nuclear-capable hypersonics as likely a first-use weapon or a first-strike weapon. Our allies and partners in the Indo-Pacific are increasingly alarmed about China's laser focus and emphasis on their strategic capabilities. The United States needs to maintain a credible, extended deterrence commitment to our allies in the Indo-Pacific. So, Ambassador Crittenbrink, do you agree with the premise that the United States should do all it can to maintain credible deterrence? Senator Haggerty, thank you very much for the question. A absolutely. Uh, I believe that it is America, I, I'm sorry, is it not? I, I believe it is in a, a vital American national interest to demonstrate the credibility uh, and the sanctity of our security treaty uh, commitments to our allies in the region, I'm, using I'm, all of our capabilities. Thank you. Um, in November, um, Japan's chief cabinet secretary publicly stated that adopting a no first use policy in, the term, in terms of using nuclear weapons would, and I quote, make it difficult to ensure Japan's national security. So I, I'd come to both of you now and ask if you agree that the United States should seriously take into consideration the views of Japan, as well as our other allies and partners in the Indo-Pacific with respect to U.S. declaratory policy. Well, Senator, what, what I would say, I would simply reiterate my uh, comment from a moment ago that it's a, a vital American uh, national interest to demonstrate the credibility of our uh, security treaty commitments uh, involving uh, all of our capabilities, including our extended deterrence capabilities. Mm -hmm. Secretary Ratner. Yep. Senator, as you know, the department is currently conducting uh, its nuclear posture review. Uh, in, in, in the context of that process, uh, we have been engaging deeply and repeatedly with allies around the world, including our, our allies uh, in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, and uh, we have heard uh, their concerns, uh, and, and certainly Secretary Austin has spoken repeatedly about the importance of our extended deterrence commitments. Secretary Ratner, thank you for the comment, and I would just encourage you, as, as I hear from our allies in the region as well, they have very strong views on this. Uh, their proximity makes those views very relevant, and thank you for taking those views into account. Thank you both. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator, um, Senator Booker is with us virtually. Uh, first, I just want to um, echo the concerns that were expressed by both the chairman and obviously uh, by Senator Shaheen about our lack of full diplomatic corps in a time uh, that we're seeing multiple continents that we are have flashpoints and crisis points and the urgency of diplomacy. And I want to add to that that there are still a number of, uh, of uh, positions uh, at the State Department uh, that are unfulfilled, unfilled, that are necessary for national security and perhaps uh, to the Assistant Secretary of State, that's true, right? These are important positions when it comes to U.S. national security and should not be 
uh, 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 held up uh, with the urgencies that we have. Would you agree? Senator, yes, sir. Uh, I do believe um, uh, it is a major hindrance to the conduct of our foreign policy not to have our full team uh, on the field. And uh, again, I would uh, express my thanks to uh, the Senate for their support uh, in my nomination and others, but I would respectfully ask that uh, we please move as quickly as possible on the many remaining nominations, both for our ambassadors in the field uh, and our many uh, positions unfilled here domestically. I'm grateful, I'm grateful for that. I know this has been covered a little bit, but I'd like to just um, ask you again, you know, China had made a lot of uh, 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 statements about pursuing a peaceful rise uh, and it just doesn't, and like they weren't really seeking confrontation, but clearly uh, we have seen that change and the aggressive uh, actions taken uh, in Taiwanese airspace, uh, uh, international waterways and more uh, is indicative of a, of a change in posture. And I'm wondering uh, this rhetoric, how much is it really, um, uh, and these actions, is it, is it in your opinion, uh, not only belying their claims, but really reflecting a real uh, intention? Or is this in some ways just to satisfy internal Chinese politics and sort of the wolf warrior constituency and others? Do you really think that they are looking uh, to potentially uh, engage in more overt uh, conflict uh, of, a, of, a, um, of a military nature? Senator, thank you very much. Not for either of them, yeah. Senator, thank you uh, very much for the question. Our concern, our focus here today is, of course, uh, on Taiwan and the situation across the Strait. But we are deeply concerned about a range of destabilizing and aggressive and coercive actions that we have seen the People's Republic of China uh, carry out uh, across the region and, in some instances, uh, around the world. Uh, whether it's in the maritime domain, whether it's the situation on uh, the Pierce's border uh, with India, whether it's economic coercion that it is carried out uh, regarding uh, a range of countries around the world, uh, or it's increasingly aggressive and coercive activities in the South and East China Seas, uh, we are laser focused uh, on the threat posed uh, by those aggressive and coercive actions, and that's what animates much uh, of our policy. And I would just say, uh, Senator, I think you noted uh, at, at the top of your comments, uh, whatever PRC rhetoric uh, may say, I think we have to focus uh, on China's actions uh, and base our policies uh, there. Uh, and that is why we're focused, Senator, so intently on uh, supporting and maintaining the rules-based order in the Indo-Pacific region that we believe is under threat from the PRC. Uh, and that order, we believe, is so vital uh, to our future uh, security and prosperity and that of our, of our allies. And therefore, uh, our intention is to work closely with our many like-minded partners around the region uh, to support that uh, order, which is, as I said, under threat. And I, I, I'm sorry, was there another comment? Yeah, yeah I'm concerned, concerned about, about uh, in my visits to uh, Africa, the, the incredible influence um, that the Chinese have there and their erosion of uh, diplomatic relations between African nations and, and Taiwan. Uh, they've been incredibly successful. I think it's uh, Eswatini and, uh, and Somaliland that are the last two that have maintained diplomatic relations with, uh, with Taiwan. And I think this is indicative of a larger picture of uh, Chinese influence uh, uh, in, on the continent and 
in many ways undermining our position and our interests there as well. And I'm wondering uh, what can the U.S. government do to help reverse the erosion uh, and encourage uh, countries to support really uh, our democratic uh, principles, ideals, as well as be supportive of a larger effort to, to contain uh, China's uh, influence? Senator, thank you. Whether it's in the context uh, of trying to shore up uh, international support for Taiwan or Taiwan's international space, uh, or ensuring uh, that countries in regions around the world, including uh, Africa, are not subject to Chinese coercion, uh, I think uh, this, uh, again, uh, has to be uh, and is uh, a central focus uh, of our policy and our efforts. And uh, our intent uh, is, one, to remind countries of some of the risks uh, for example, uh, of taking on uh, certain Chinese investments or incurring uh, certain debts vis-a-vis -vis the PRC and what those implications for a country's sovereignty may be down the line. Uh, secondly, we need to demonstrate the benefits uh, of partnering with the, other, with the United States and other uh, like-minded uh, partners. And, and thirdly, uh, we need to continue uh, to highlight the importance of, uh, of a rules-based order and, and the values that we all hold dear. And uh, that is what we're doing and that is what we intend uh, to continue to do. But certainly the scope of the challenge uh, is growing, Senator. I agree. I appreciate that. I appreciate it, Mr. Chairman. I just want to reaffirm, I've been pleased to hear a bipartisan commitment to our relationships uh, with Taiwan. Uh, I, I feel very strongly with that. I think what is happening there and the fear and insecurity they're they are creating in the country is unacceptable um, to such a strong partner of the United States. Uh, and I know on, on behalf of a lot of Taiwanese Americans, um, that a strong American posture uh, in support of that democracy uh, is something that we all should be doing everything we can to support. So thank you. Thank you. Senator Ben Holland. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank both of you for your testimony. Thank you for your service. I've been trying to keep track of the testimony uh, in the hearing as it's gone on, but I apologize if I uh, ask questions that have already been covered. We, we know from what's been said and, and following uh, developments in the area that uh, we see uh, real Chinese sort of aggressive moves. Uh, we saw the, the military moves uh, up against uh, toward Taiwanese airspace. We've seen other actions taken. Um, obviously, the United States also has sort of held its position uh, in the region. What are we doing now? What what's in place now to avoid miscalculations that could lead to unintended escalation uh, and conflict? If you could each uh, talk from the advantage views of your advantage, the perspectives of your departments. Senator, uh, thank you for your comment and, and for your uh, questions as well. Uh, I would say um, from our position, um, in order to prevent the miscalculation and the risk of that that you've outlined, we're doing a number of things. First of all, we're taking a range of actions to demonstrate the strength of our uh, the strength of our commitment uh, to the region uh, and uh, the strength of our deterrent capabilities and those of our uh, allies and partners and friends. And we're trying to uh, strengthen countries' abilities to resist Chinese coercion in all its forms. So I think those actions. Uh, are the most important steps that we can take. And the main focus for uh, this administration and me and my job is how can we best support our allies, partners, and friends across the region uh, to support that rules-based order uh, that is uh, under pressure from the People's Republic of China. 
But secondly, Senator, there is an element uh, involved uh, in our uh, diplomacy directly uh, with the People's Republic of China as well. Um, as you uh, have seen, uh, President Biden uh, recently engaged in a virtual meeting with President Xi Jinping. Uh, one of the main objectives of that meeting was to make sure as our competition becomes increasingly intense, we also engage in intense diplomacy at the most senior levels to uh, reduce the risk of miscalculation that could veer into uh, an unintended conflict. So I do think that that is an important element uh, of what we do. We do need to continue to signal at senior levels to uh, the PRC leadership the depth of our concerns uh, and a desire to avoid miscalculation. Uh, but again, Senator, I would say the most important part of what we're doing, I would argue, across the region is the work uh, with our allies and partners to shore up the regional order. No, I, I agree with um, the overall strategy that the President's put forward, uh, I, but I do want to push a little bit more and maybe on the defense side uh, as well as to what kind, what operationally is in place uh, to make sure lines of communication are open in order to avoid uh, miscalculation. Between the United States and the PRC specifically? Yes. Or, yes. Um, so, uh, I would echo Ambassador Crittenbrink's uh, comments that clearly one of the uh, key priorities for the administration and the president said this clearly is to try to develop guardrails on the relationship uh, and there is uh, uh, going to be follow-up to the, the president's meeting uh, to try to do that in practice. Uh, from the perspective of the Defense Department, uh, we have been working to renew military-to-military uh, -military relations with the PLA over the course of the last year with a, with a very laser focus on questions of crisis communications and crisis management. Um, we have had uh, interactions within the Office of the Secretary of Defense uh, and interactions uh, with Indopaycom and uh, some of their PLA counterparts. So we're in the process of renewing those efforts. Appreciate that, obviously, and uh, I, know, I know the chairman and others have mentioned that. If we had an ambassador in place, uh, those kind of communications uh, uh, could be even more effective and, and more clear. I think it's uh, hurting our national security every day uh, that the Ambassador Nick Burns' uh, nomination is being held up. Uh, my last question is this. Uh, look, China uh, has long taken the position that eventually they want what they claim will be the peaceful reunification of China. Obviously, their actions have been anything but peaceful. But do you note a real change in position taken and the tone taken by President Xi in his comments on Taiwan uh, compared to many of his predecessors. Senator, thank you. Um, I don't know that um, the tone or the rhetoric uh, has been dramatically different from uh, Beijing. There is still uh, occasionally a, uh, a reiteration of a stated desire to uh, resolve the situation in their view peacefully, and yet uh, China has never ruled out the use of force, uh, and uh, that continues uh, to this day. I think the dramatic change that we've seen in recent months is years and years has been in, in Chinese actions and behavior, including its coercive and bullying behavior vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, and that is uh, our primary concern. Uh, and that is, is what is driving uh, primarily our response rather than a focus on rhetoric, Senator. Thank you. Th th thank you, Mr. Chairman.
Thank, thank you. you, Senator. Senator Young is with us virtually. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, and welcome uh, before the committee, gentlemen. Recent press reports have highlighted uh, concerning developments with Taiwan's domestic defense strategy and capability. Reserve forces are in need of reform, and there are questions around Taiwan's recent shift in favor of counter-strike weapons rather than uh, adopting a porcupine strategy of strategic denial capabilities. Beyond weapon sales, uh, gentlemen, what is the administration doing to support Taiwan's domestic military readiness? I'm not sure I heard the very last part of that question. Beyond weapons, what is the administration doing to support Taiwan's readiness? To support, Taiwan. uh, to support Taiwan's domestic military readiness? Yeah, got domestic Copy. military readiness. Uh, Senator Young, if, if you can lean into your um, when you're asking questions, lean into your, uh, I guess, the computer there or raise the volume, it would be helpful. But I think we heard that one. No, this is, thank you, Senator Young. It's a, it's a hugely important question, and we have to uh, always remember that uh, Taiwan's ability to defend itself is more than just its arms purchases, and that as a, as a government, we ought to be taking a uh, widening our aperture as much as we can. And its reserve reforms are an important element of that insofar as uh, Taiwan's shift to an all-volunteer force and, and the subsequent decrease of its active force strength has led to the need to ensure that its reserve forces are prepared to assume increasingly difficult missions. Um, the good news uh, is that President Tsai and, and uh, Minister of Defense Cho uh, have begun walking down this path. As you know, uh, they have approved changes to reservist training requirements, uh, increasing the number of uh, days required for reservists, and they've also been um, creating uh, requirements for more realistic combat training. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, as was mentioned uh, earlier in the hearing, uh, Taiwan is slated uh, at the beginning of next year to establish an all-out defense mobilization agency, an ADMA, uh, which is uh, geared to combine mobilization and reserve functions in one agency to better align training exercises uh, and force development requirements. So we think they're making real tangible progress on this. Some of it is very much initial, uh, and we're going to do everything so, we can to support Dr. these efforts. Dr. Radner, uh, okay, that, so that was my question. Were there things that you think uh, we should be doing, perhaps this c committee can be helpful with, uh, as it pertains to uh, supporting Taiwan and its efforts to reform its reserve forces? Uh, Absolutely, uh, Senator. I would be happy to, to explain that in some detail uh, in a closed session. What I will say is that we are taking a, a more proactive approach to supporting Taiwan in some of these reforms, working with them on some of their uh, defense concepts, doctrine, supporting them. Why don't, why don't some we of their take it to a classified setting, uh, Doctor? Uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll pick up on that thread with you at a later date. Thank you. So, are the leg what capabilities are most needed for asymmetric uh, defense? Uh, because my sense is the legacy systems and weapons that, that Taiwan has relied on in the past aren't, aren't sufficient, aren't adequate for a robust defense of the island right now. Uh, Senator, that's right. That, that is precisely uh, the argument that the administration has been making and the Trump administration was making uh, as well. 
again, we support President Tsai's commitment to, to achieve greater balance of asymmetric capabilities. Uh, to your question specifically, uh, these include uh, coastal defense cruise missiles, uh, short and medium range air defenses, defensive naval mines, uh, enabling C4 ISR, uh, and other uh, capabilities, but uh, those would be at the top of our, our priorities. Okay, lastly, uh, in, in what time period do you see the greatest risks for conflict between, between CCP and, and, and perhaps uh, Taiwan? Taiwan. Uh, Senator, my answer to that is that uh, the China challenge is a today problem, a tomorrow problem, a 2027 problem, a 2030 problem, a 2040 problem. And beyond, I don't think there is a date we ought to pick on the calendar, and we ought to make sure that we're sustaining deterrence uh, from today and maintaining it going forward. It's, it's a today problem. That's all I need to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Coons. Uh, thank you, Chairman Menendez and uh, Ranking Member Risch for the hearing, and thank you, uh, Ambassador Kuttenbrink, uh, Dr. Ratner, for your testimony and your public service. I don't know. Can you hear me while we're having some trouble with the audio? Thank you. Um, you mentioned in your uh, testimony, um, Dr. Ratner, the significance of bipartisanship and it being uh, a key part of our um, relationship uh, and our defense of Taiwan and that it should be nurtured. I'll just mention uh, at the outset that I think uh, bipartisanship in this hearing and in the actions of uh, members of this committee and in partnership with the administration has been a long and a critical part uh, of our work together. I have visited uh, Taiwan twice in recent years. Uh, coordinating with the Trump administration and the Biden administration before doing so. Uh, and I went on a bipartisan trip just a few months ago to deliver uh, vaccines. Um, and I think it is striking how the status quo and the support of both Republican and Democratic administrations, uh, including through defensive arms sales, has served um, its successful and free market democracy. Um, Dr. Ratner, what's the most critical investment that we in Congress could make to help both um, ensure and strengthen deterrence um, and um, U.S. military readiness uh, in the Indo-Pacific. So most important investment uh, in Taiwan, both in terms of um, arms sales, but uh, moving forward some of the strategic and military reforms that previous members have discussed, um, but also most important investment in terms of the Indo-Pacific region and strengthening our partnership with our allies. Senator, I think the, the answer I would give to that is rather, and if the question is around U.S. capability or, or investment in terms of strengthening Taiwan's capabilities. Both. I think the, the uh, uh, list that I, that I just to, provided to Senator Young uh, would be at the top of our prioritization list in terms of the types of capabilities that are mobile and resilient and cost-effective for Taiwan, including coastal defense cruise missiles and uh, defensive naval mines and others. Uh, I think we've uh, articulated those, um, as well as the reserve reforms and civil military uh, integration efforts that Taiwan is undergoing. And, Doctor, there support. continues to be some ongoing um, tension within Taiwan military planning uh, between those who want to invest in expensive but uh, perhaps less critical um, capabilities and those who agree with the vision that you just laid out. Um, how do we help move forward Taiwan's defense reforms? Uh, Senator, I, uh, this is a question we, we often get. I would say I am uh, encouraged by the direction that President Tsai and Taiwan's Minister of, of National Defense are heading in terms of its capability development, its reserve, reserve reforms, other defense reforms. Um, 
you know, as in, as in any bureaucracy, uh, there are going to be competing priorities, there are going to be service rivalries, especially in a resource-constrained environment. Um, I think what we need to do is uh, speak with one voice as an administration, uh, as a Congress, uh, as a government, um, and work with uh, allies and partners in the region as well on this issue. How much harm would a year-long CR, where we do no more appropriation, uh, no more policy through appropriation as well, how much harm would that do possibly to our Indo-Pacific strategy? Uh, Senator, leaders at the Defense Department have been clear uh, from the Secretary on down about uh, concerns about a, a CR and the need for stability in our budgeting cycles. Um, thank you. Ambassador, um, I, I'd like to see us uh, work in close coordination with our European allies and partners to strengthen um, our trade investment relationships. Um, Taiwan is one of the world's most significant sources of advanced semiconductor chips. We currently have um, just come through some real supply chain disruptions and significant shortages. Um, what do you think we could do um, to develop the standards for the 21st century for the digital economy in partnership with Taiwan, including them in the world uh, community of open societies uh, that is in part convening through the Summit for Democracy this week? Uh, and what do you think we could do um, to better engage our European allies um, in that work, in strengthening both economic ties and potentially security ties with Taiwan. Senator, thank you very much for uh, your question. On the issue of, of Taiwan's role in the global economy and the importance of uh, resilient and diverse supply chains, I think uh, that's absolutely critical for Taiwan. It's absolutely critical for the global economy and for our prosperity as well. Um, we have engaged uh, in a range uh, of fora and via a range of dialogues with our Taiwan partners on those very issues, including uh, assisting Taiwan in making sure that its supply chains are more diverse and secure, uh, and that Taiwan carries out the uh, export control and other uh, screening policies designed to protect uh, its most important um, technologies and trade secrets as well. Our European partners are absolutely critical in this effort as well, given their obviously central role uh, in the economy and these uh, these same supply chains. And this has been, in fact, an area of, of discussion uh, between the EU uh, and the United States, including uh, in the in the recent engagements with the EU that I mentioned earlier, both at my level and at the deputy secretary level. So, uh, Senator, I couldn't agree more with the importance uh, of the issue. Uh, the importance of, of Taiwan's role in the supply chains and in the global economy and in the importance uh, of the EU's role uh, in achieving our goals. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you. you. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Welcome to the witnesses. Over the last year, the world has gotten much more dangerous. And unfortunately, that danger is a direct consequence of a series of foreign policy failures by the Biden-Harris administration. We have seen President Biden's weakness over and over again translating into making America less safe. In Afghanistan, we saw an absolute catastrophe with Biden's surrender to the Taliban, abandoning Americans behind enemy lines, and the chaos that resulted. When that occurred, every enemy of America looked to Washington and took measure of the man in the Oval Office. And whether it was Russia or Iran or North Korea or China, they all determined that the president was too weak to be a serious threat to them. And unfortunately, as a consequence, 
each of them has gotten substantially more bellicose, substantially more aggressive. As we sit here today, over 100,000 Russian troops are massed on the border of Ukraine, preparing to invade Ukraine because Joe Biden surrendered to Vladimir Putin on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and paved the way for Putin to take a major step towards his long-term goal of rebuilding the Soviet Union and once again posing a massive threat to the safety and security of Americans. In China, the weakness of the Biden administration from abandoning Afghanistan, from surrendering to Putin has been noticed. And the Afghanistan disaster, I believe, made it substantially more likely that China will launch an amphibious military assault against Taiwan sometime between now and the end of 2024, because for the same reason that Putin is preparing to launch an invasion of Ukraine, our enemies have determined this president is too weak to stand up to them. That has been complicated even further by the Biden administration's incoherence and undermining of Taiwan, which unfortunately serves as an encouragement to the Chinese Communist government to engage in military hostilities directed at Taiwan. Every few weeks, we see another example of bumbling and incompetence from this administration when it comes to Taiwan. Over the summer, for instance, the White House's official Twitter account first posted and then deleted a tweet about vaccination donations in Taiwan because the tweet included a flag of Taiwan. Our Taiwanese allies were forced to publicly ask the White House not to cause unnecessary speculation or misunderstanding from all walks of life due to the removal of the related tweet. The Biden White House publicly retreated from Taiwan to avoid angering the communist overlords in China. More broadly, the Biden administration has imposed a policy forbidding our Taiwanese allies from displaying symbols of their sovereignty, whether flags or medals or uniforms on U.S. soil. This is a policy that goes back to 2015 when the Obama administration capitulated to the Chinese Communist Party demands to restrict Taiwanese activities. I fought for the Trump administration to change this policy. It took four years to get it done, but ultimately they did. They changed the policy to allow our Taiwanese allies to display their flags in military uniforms. The Biden administration reversed that policy. And it did so knowing it was over the objection of Republicans and Democrats in the Senate on this committee. I introduced legislation in this committee to restore the policy allowing Taiwan to display its symbols of sovereignty. It passed overwhelmingly in this committee with bipartisan support. It passed the Senate overwhelmingly with bipartisan support. And yet the Biden administration is defying the United States Senate and continues to impose this policy undermining our ally Taiwan. And I've even heard recently from officers at several bases that DOD is asking for stricter enforcement of the ban after a Taiwanese graduate of the Air Force Academy wore the Taiwanese flag at a graduation ceremony. Meanwhile, 
We hear from Biden administration officials that they've actually loosened contact guidance for Taiwan. Dr. Ratner, what is the Biden administration's actual policy regarding the ability of our Taiwanese allies to display their national symbols of sovereignty? And has that policy been memorialized in a written memo that is being distributed within the administration? Senator, I'm going to defer to my State Department colleague who has oversight of that particular piece. What I will say is I'm not familiar with the case that you raised vis-a-vis -vis DOD, and I'll look into that. Thank you. But your office has not circulated any guidance within DOD? Uh, State Department determines contact guidance for uh, the Department for the U.S. government as a whole. Okay. Well, then same question. Senator, uh, first I would say that everything that animates uh, our approach to the Indo-Pacific is designed uh, to uh, demonstrate the credibility uh, of our commitment to the region uh, and to our allies, and no one should doubt uh, the strength of that commitment and the capabilities that America brings to bear. Um, uh, under this administration, and since I've had the honor of having this job, uh, America has revitalized uh, its engagement with allies and partners across the region uh, in a way that improves uh, our national security uh, and our prosperity, uh, that counters uh, the aggressive and, and coercive actions by the PRC that- I, I so just asked what I'm the policy sorry, was I'm in sorry. Taiwan. Uh, yes, Sen Senator. And then the, the second Senator. part, uh, if I can respond, Senator- Mr. Secretary? Yes, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. But the time of the Senator is well past expired. There have been members who have been waiting here. The Senator he just used, hasn't answered the question Sen at all. Senator used five minutes to make a statement before he ever got to a question. I can't allow all members to do that. I will be here forever. So uh, I'm happy You're not going to, allow to, to be included the to the record. No, you can speak for five minutes if you choose to, but then you can't speak for five minutes and then think you can ask a series of questions. I, I asked one it's unfair question. To, I asked no, one question is, that he's refused third. to answer. This is your third. I, I asked it's, one it's un, question. It's, un, it's unfair to the other members who have been waiting here. I asked one question. The DOD and, and, witness and, said and he and couldn't the answer the State Secretary Department. Secretary will answer it for the record. Senator Kane. Let the record reflect that the chair is, is protecting the Biden administration from admitting their policies undermining Let the record Taiwan. reflect that when the senator from Texas turns his back to the chair and thinks that he can run out the clock and then begin to ask questions, that dog won't I, I actually you. just look at the person to that whom I'm speaking, so I look at the witnesses when but, I'm asking them questions, the and I'm looking at you now when I you're trying you enjoy to prevent this the witnesses you put it up on your YouTube channel. You can't run the clock in statement which you're free to do. Uh, look, your and exchange is taking longer than it would take for them to answer the question. Senator questions. Kane is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I have one item I would like to ask each of you about. I, I do believe the Biden administration is earnestly trying to rebuild and shore up alliances um, around the world, and that's a positive thing. I think w with respect to this particular region, the elevation of importance of the Quad is an important component. I think U.S. support for vaccine delivery in Taiwan has been very positive, as well as vaccine delivery around the world. We're the most generous donor of vaccines. That's a good thing. Um, and I, I think the announcement of a more um, potent Indo-Pacific partnership between the U.S., Australia, and the United Kingdom is positive. But now my critique and my question, I have yet to get an answer from the administration about why that particular partnership, U.S., Australia, U.K., 
uh, blindsided France, or at least was perceived to have been blindsiding France. Since France is an ally and France is an Indo-Pacific nation, it would seem like we would want to include France in our efforts in the Indo-Pacific, that that would be a real positive, and instead the U.S.-Australia-U.K. Um, partnership around submarines was perceived to be blindsiding France and left France out of something that I think it would be in our interest and other nations uh, in the region for France to be included. So I want to ask each of you from the DOD perspective, from the state perspective, were you individually involved in uh, crafting this U.S.-U.K.-Australia partnership around submarines, and if so, why wasn't France included? If I could start with you, Dr. Adner, from the defense side. Uh, sure, Senator. Um, the answer to your last question is yes, I was involved in the latter stage of the negotiations. They had been underway for several months by the time I was confirmed, but I was, uh, uh, I did participate in the, uh, the final development of the MOUs and some of the uh, other elements of the of the AUKUS agreement. Um, I guess what I would say there is it is a uh, particular agreement around uh, three sets of countries which have uh, and is very particular to the strategic context and as well as our existent uh, bilateral cooperation with each. Uh, and as it relates to the uh, question of France, um, one of the reasons why the negotiations were so uh, secret is because of the sensitivity of the subject. Uh, and I guess I'll leave it to the Australians to explain their own engagement uh, with the French on the question of their own submarine deal. But you would agree with me, wouldn't you, that France is an Indo-Pacific country? Absolutely, Senator. And, and, and we France are actively... Is, and France is a great military ally of the United States. They are, and, and, and I have we, met And with, if we want to yeah. be you know, engaged with allies in the Indo-Pacific in a way that will support other allies like Taiwan and potentially be a bit of a deterrent to China, the involvement of France in those efforts would be a positive, correct? It, it is a positive. It, it is existent. We engage with them on defense issues in the Indo-Pacific, and we look forward to doing uh, even more of that into the future. They are a resident power in the Indo-Pacific. They so have I, their own but, important But I gather from your answer that you were involved in negotiations between three nations. France was not part of those negotiations, and the, the U.S. expectation was that Australia would somehow give notice to France about what was going on at the appropriate think, time. Senator, my own conception of the AUKUS agreement that is complementary to what is a very diverse set of security relationships and arrangements in the Indo-Pacific and globally. So we have AUKUS, we have the Quad, as you mentioned. We have a number of trilateral arrangements with the Japanese and the Koreans, with the Australians uh, and the Japanese. We, of course, have our approach to ASEAN, and these are meant to be complementary. None is meant to be exclusive of the other. Let me ask you, uh, Mr. Ambassador, were you involved from the State Department side in discussions about uh, the AUKUS uh, framework or agreement and why was France blindsided, and shouldn't we be including France in Indo-Pacific alliance efforts? Thank you, Senator. Um, all of that happened, Senator, before I was uh, confirmed and, and sworn in. Uh, but I would say that, as, as you outlined, I think the, um, <clears throat> I think the progress made uh, by the Quad 
and the announcement of the AUKUS uh, uh, agreement. I think these are very significant strategic moves that contribute uh, to peace and stability across the region. I think uh, the, the President has stated publicly uh, that uh, the rollout in particular could have been handled better. And I think you've seen uh, the administration take uh, a number of steps even since I have been in this position to engage intensively with our French allies and our EU partners uh, to recognize their critical role uh, in the region. We recognize it, we value it, and we're in touch uh, on a regular basis how to advance our shared interests. Thank you. I've exceeded my time. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Senator Markey. Um, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Dr. Ratner, then Vice President uh, Joe Biden said in January of 2017, given our non-nuclear capabilities and the nature of today's threats, it's hard to envision a plausible scenario in which the first use of nuclear weapons by the United States would be necessary or make sense. Do you agree with the President in the context of the East Asia and Pacific region that you oversee that his statement as Vice President is accurate? Senator, what I would say is the uh, Global Posture Review and these types of questions are currently under review uh, at the Department uh, and likely to be completed uh, early next year in terms of the role of, of nuclear weapons and, and U.S. nuclear doctrine. And well, I hope that your Department's uh, Nuclear Posture Review will be uh, drawing inspiration from the President's own views, namely that we do not need to be the first country to escalate a non-nuclear conflict into a nuclear uh, conflict. And if a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought, as President Biden reiterated in Geneva this summer, surely we should have no issue stating that the sole purpose of nuclear weapons is to deter nuclear attacks against the United States uh, and its allies, but that we would never uh, be the first uh, country to use uh, nuclear weapons uh, in a non-nuclear war setting. Um, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs recently called China's test of an orbital hypersonic we uh, missile as a Sputnik moment, suggesting that there is a technological gap with respect to China that the United States needs to fill. Dr. Ratner, is it true the United States exceeds the next 11 countries combined in defense spending, one of which is China? Uh, I don't have the data at my fingertips, sir, but certainly, Senator, uh, the United States has the largest defense budget in the world. Uh, and I, I will uh, confirm for you that, yes, our budget is larger than the next 11 combined, including China, just so that we don't get back to 1960s missile gap. Okay, we're, we're looking over our shoulders at number two, three, and four. Uh, Dr. Ratner, um, Department of Defense witnesses have testified that China's development of nuclear-capable hypersonic missiles is meant to counter U.S. missile defenses, but does our regional or homeland-based uh, missile defense architecture pose a threat to China's strategic deterrent, be it from a traditional Chinese ICBM or a hypersonic glide vehicle? Sorry, Senator, could you, could you repeat the question? Is our missile Does our regional or home-based, uh, a homeland-based missile defense architecture pose a threat to China's strategic deterrent, be it from a traditional Chinese ICBM or a hypersonic glide vehicle? Senator, the purpose of our missile defense is to uh, enhance stability and deter aggression. So it does not pose a threat to China, no. It does not pose a threat 
Thank you. That's, that's the answer. It does not pose a threat. Isn't it true that U.S. ICBMs that we have right now are actually faster than the hypersonic glide vehicles that the United States, Russia, and China are all rushing to develop? Senator, I'd be happy to discuss that in a, in a classified setting. I appreciate that. Uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists says that uh, our ICBMs are 20 times the speed of sound. I just think it's important to get that out there, and I don't think there's any evidence thus far that the Chinese hypersonic weapons are going to be able to exceed what we can do in our country. I always hate it when they make out the Chinese or the Russians to be 10 feet tall and we're midgets. It's just the opposite, and I just think we have to keep that out there. Is it true that even if China were to have 1,000 deliverable warheads by 2030, it would still be one-fourth uh, of what is already in our active nuclear weapons inventory of 3,750. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct, though, of course, we deploy lower numbers than that, Senator. But we have the capacity right now in our active nuclear weapons inventory to uh, counter the 300 that they have right now or the 1,000 that they might have by the year 2030. Is that correct? That's correct, Senator. Though there, there are still reasons to be concerned about China's nuclear buildup uh, despite the United States having a larger overall size. I, I appreciate that perspective. I, I just want to say, though, that the Pentagon should not be hyping the threat from hypersonics or goading us into an arms race. Uh, we should absolutely engage with China on talks to reduce nuclear risk. We should be prepared to acknowledge uh, mutual vulnerability with China, as we did with the former Soviet Union. We just should not be uh, uh, trying which I, I really feel the arms manufacturers are trying to do, and many, and many in the Pentagon, to just create artificial fear in the United States. It's not a Sputnik moment, 100%. It is not a Sputnik moment, and the Pentagon should not be saying it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Markey. Senator Risch. Very, very briefly, Mr. Chairman, I, uh, notwithstanding the, uh, the row here with Senator Cruz, there's a lot of us that do have uh, an interest in that question that he asked. And, and uh, you, you indicated they would answer it for the record. And I guess uh, I would be interested in hearing that answer. If you want to use your time now, Senator Rishi, I'm happy to have the Secretary answer you. I'm not afraid of the answer, nor am I hiding yeah, from I, Yeah. No, I, I get that. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I yes, appreciate um, you, you never got to the answer to the question. You talked about all the good stuff we were doing, and we appreciate that. We really do. But we've all heard anecdotal stories uh, about suppression of uh, of Taiwanese flag and what have you. Is there an official policy on this? Do we have anything in writing on this? Mr. Ranking Member, thank, thank you very much for the question, and I'm happy to answer it to the best of my ability. Please. I would state first, we have tremendous respect uh, for our Taiwan partners. We treat them with great respect and dignity in every interaction. However, over the last four decades, it's been United States policy to not allow Taiwan partners to display symbols of sovereignty on U.S. facilities. That includes uh, flags. That includes military uniforms. Um, that has been a longstanding American policy for the last 40 years, and it remains uh, as such. Um, is, there a written, is there a written policy in that regard? Uh, Senator, there is a written policy regarding our contact guidelines and uh, the guidance that we give 
uh, and the encouragement that we give uh, to U.S. government officials to meet with uh, Taiwan partners in a way that is fully in accordance with our uh, our unofficial uh, but vitally important relationship with Taiwan. I don't know if the contact guidelines covers uh, the uniform uh, or flag issue, but I would be happy to research that immediately that. and get back to you. But what I can state with confidence is that uh, the policy on symbols of sovereignty has been longstanding over these. And, and I appreciate decades. that. And I, you know, like I said, we hear anecdotal stories that are that are uh, uh, unique to a particular situation and can be uh, awkward. Would be a good word. So, what, whatever you can provide in that regard, I think a lot of us would be interested in. Yes, Thank sir, you. Mr. Chairman. If I could just clarify for the record, uh, I said earlier in response to Senator Cruz that the Defense Department does not issue its own guidance. The Defense Department does issue guidance. That guidance requires adherence to the State Department guidance, just to clarify the record there. All right. Uh, let me ask some final set of questions. I want just to follow this up fully. At the end of the Trump administration, Secretary Pompeo rescinded previous department guidance on executive branch contacts with Taiwan. This past April, the State Department issued new guidance that allows working level meetings with Taiwan counterparts in federal buildings. Is that, is that the case, Mr. Secretary? Yes, Mr. Chairman, that, that is the case. Okay, which is different than the question of symbols, but meetings are taking place uh, in federal, uh, with Taiwanese counterparts in federal buildings. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, now, it was reported earlier this year that the U.S. was con seriously considering, quote, changing the name of the Taiwan office from the Taiwan Economic and Cultural Office to the Taiwan Representative Office to elevate our treatment of Taiwan, consistent, however, with the One China Policy and the Taiwan Relations Act. Has Taipei made an official request for the United States to consider changing the name of TECRO? Mr. Chairman, my understanding is that we're continuing to assess uh, a request to that effect. So they have made a request? Uh, that is my understanding, but I will confirm that. Would you confirm that for the record? And also, if in fact they have made a request, I'd like to know the status of the administration's consideration of TECRO's uh, name change. Yes, sir. Uh, They've also asked or engaged in conversations that I've had on two things that they are very interested in pursuing. One is forward deployment uh, of our uh, customs or uh, personnel as we do in other countries uh, so that those who are transiting uh, from Taiwan to the United States could go through that forward deployment. Is, are you uh, uh, cognizant of that? Mr. Chairman, I'm not tracking that issue, but I would happy, be happy to check into it and get back to you. If you would, I'd like to know that. And uh, uh, Dr. Ratner, uh, I understand that one of their ultra other issues is uh, uh, surplus defense equipment. Uh, are you aware of that? Yes, Senator. And uh, are we engaged with them in that? I, I'd be happy to discuss that in a classified setting, Senator. Okay, I'd like to, I, I'm gonna follow up on that. Um, and then finally, uh, let me ask you, you touched upon this a little bit, uh, but I want to get a sense of um, what is the view of the Biden administration in prioritizing providing Taiwan with asymmetric weapons 
for the island's forced modernization? And how do uh, you, meaning the department, define asymmetric? And thirdly, is that definition shared with Taipei, including Taiwan's military leadership? Uh, Senator, uh, we view Taiwan's development of asymmetric capabilities as an absolute priority, not only for Taiwan, but a, but a priority for the United States. Uh, we have defined those capabilities the, the, uh, as in my uh, both written and oral statement as uh, capabilities that are credible, resilient, mobile, distributed, and, and cost-effective. Uh, by and large, there is consensus between the United States uh, and Taiwan uh, on the def definition of asymmetric defense capabilities and strategies. Uh, and the Department of Defense and the U.S. government of whole, as a whole is taking uh, a proactive pro approach uh, to try to support Taiwan's development of these. And again, I'd be happy to get into uh, details uh, in a closed session. I'd like to know that, including are we prioritizing providing Taiwan with those asymmetric weapons as defined by your testimony? Absolutely, Senator, without question. Okay. Then... Uh, what operational concept is most appropriate to follow for an overall defense concept when we're talking about Taiwan? Senator, um, you know, as, as, we, as I mentioned earlier, um, in addition to just the provision of, of arms, uh, there is a wide range of reforms and, and capabilities uh, that are going to be important to Taiwan's defense. And we are engaged across the board, uh, including on issues of concept development, uh, anal analysis, uh, doctrine, and otherwise. So again, not uh, happy to get uh, involved in, in specific questions related to concept development, um, but we would be looking at operational concepts that are taking advantage not only just of Taiwan's geography, but also its technology, its, its economic strength, and, and some of its capabilities, strengths, and also helping it develop uh, the role of its reserves, as we discussed earlier, greater civil-military integration, uh, and what we describe as uh, defense in depth as well. So concepts that, that build upon all of those efforts, not just the provision of arms. And finally, is the administration presently delaying any DSP-5 license for arms sales to Taiwan? Uh, I, I believe that would be a question for uh, Ambassador Crittenbrink. I'm sorry, Ambassador. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I would be happy. I, I do not know, but I would be happy to check. All right. Well, let me let me help your situational awareness. Yes, sir. Um, I'm aware of at least one DSP case has been sitting at state after clearing DOD for five plus months. It basically covers upgrades for Taiwan's M60 tanks, which isn't a cutting-edge ask. Uh, but as we seek to normalize arms sales and avoid returning to a packaged approach, it makes no sense that we'd be sitting on it uh, at this point after DOD's clearance and five months to make a consideration. So I'd like to hear back from the department on that. Yes, sir. And uh, Dr. Radner, I'm going to be asking my staff to set up a classified briefing with you um, and whoever else you want to bring from the department to answer some of the questions we have not been able to pursue in public hearing, which I understand, but I, I want to hear the answers to them. Senator, I'm keen to do that. I think we've got a great story to tell. I would look forward to that. Well, we're always listening, ready to listen to great stories, especially when it comes to Taiwan, so uh, we're happy to hear it. Uh, 
No other member seeking recognition. The record for this hearing will remain open until the close of business on Thursday, December 9th. Uh, please ensure that questions for the record are submitted no later than Thursday. We certainly ask you to answer them expeditiously. And with the thanks of the committee for your service and your testimony here today, this hearing is adjourned. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.